everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 661, recording today live on Wednesday the 17th of March 2021. This is the podcast to do with music technology, music production, creation of music, synthesizers, drum machines, software, distribution, streaming, all of the kind of stuff that goes around the modern uh, age of creating and distributing and whatnot of music. Uh, I want to say welcome to our friends over in the chat room. We've got uh, YouTube chatties, we've got our uh, IRC chatties and we've got the Discord and YouTube and Facebook chatties because we're streaming via Discord as well and Facebook Live. I uh, also want to say uh, thank you very much to our friends over at Isotope. In fact, uh, I have, uh, if I do this and this, uh, you as well as we'll be uh, playing a little bit of uh, information later on about their subscription service. You can also save 10% by using the uh, the code SONIC10. If you go to isotope.com forward slash SONIC TALK, uh, not on subscriptions though, sadly. You have to, uh, you have to go in for that. Anyway, um, we also want to say uh, we're available on Spotify. If you're into listening to your audio podcast, because we do this obviously video and audio, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Alexa, iTunes, uh, the yeah, there's there's basically tons of it. There's loads of places that you can watch it, all where all of your good podcasts come from varying places. Yeah. I think I'm saying the right things. The words I'm saying seem to make sense to me. Um, so welcome, everybody. Uh, let's start off over here. We have Mr. Rich Hilton. Oh, I caught him adjusting. How embarrassing. I'm sorry about that, Rich. Rich Hilton, of course, uh, music technologist, producer, engineer, also uh, plays live with Chic when they're going to be back on the road, which I'm guessing may be sometime this year. We do hope so, um, as things seem to be shifting around in the world. How are you, Rich? You well? Yes, thank you. I'm very well. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, and uh, we also have Mr. Uh, Gaz Williams, who's there in his Bristol studio, uh, also music technologist and producer and mastering and, and songwriter and all of those things. And also uh, the Gaz Williams show, which I believe are you doing one tonight, Gaz? Yeah, I am. 8pm GMT. Going to do it all about Rocket Gold Star's ridiculous 12-hour long single. <laughs> so, right. Okay. The, hear about story. that later. <laughs> well, actually, that gives me the, the perfect uh, opportunity to plug Patreon because I posted something out there today, which was a story about when I was working at Real World. Uh, somebody asked in the comments. Mm. So if you want to join us on Patreon, there's some exclusive content there, which is uh, there it goes. Uh, also got uh, five minutes with uh, Analog Solutions Fusebox at Chris from Battery Orchestra. That's 40 minutes he put of extra content. There's a whole bunch of the ever-growing library of exclusive posts and video that you can't see elsewhere uh, available at Patreon. That's uh, sonicstate.com. No, it's not even that one. It's this one, isn't it? It's uh, patreon.com forward slash sonicstate if you want to join us there. And of course, if you want to support us in other ways, you're more than welcome to uh, support us on uh, YouTube with super stickers and all of that kind of stuff. Just give us a shout out and you should be uh, highlighted in the chat. But anyway, let's get on to some topics. It's a funny time of year, isn't it? We kind of get, Last week, there was so much to talk about. This week, Less so, but hopefully plenty of uh, plenty of things to be going on with. Um, let's start with um, ah yeah, the new MIDI patch system. Now this is uh, from uh, Conductive Labs. Let's get on to it. This is actually uh, this is more of a Conductive tutorial Labs, video. We're have a look at oh, he's in my left ear. And how USB this is MIDI works with this. A fancy so, hardware. Um, firstly, USB MIDI is bidirectional, so you'll see switcher, two buttons, router, and MIDI patch two bay. LEDs for each port. 
Actually, it's moving quite slow. So what I'm going to do is I'll move over to the website because we can see it a little bit better. So it's a piece of hardware. Um, they did the Noodler, which I know that Gaz has had uh, the opportunity mm -hmm. to play with and use. And this is a hardware MIDI router which has DIN, mini jack, and also USB I/O. It's also got filtering, merging, splitting. Uh, I think they're going to be working on. Uh, Keyboard layering, uh, keyboard splits, that kind of stuff. So an intelligent thing, all storable. And I think, I don't know how, I'm quite, I, I find this quite exciting. I don't know if that makes me sad, <laughs> but MIDI patch bays just do something for me. You know, that when you could do, the only thing I can see it's missing is, seems to be RTP MIDI, which would be great. There is a network port, but I think that's for sort of flying patch. This thing's uh, available pre-order. It's going to be April 2021, so pretty much close uh, coming up. I think it's about 379 US dollars. But MIDI patch bay is kind of important. I'm going to come for you, Rich. I mean, back in the day when we all used to run massive MIDI rigs and have these huge kind of unwieldy pieces of hardware, now it's kind of tend to plug in something you need with USB. Do you have a need for MIDI patch bays and that kind of thing now? I mean, I think I think most people do, but maybe they just don't know it. I don't think I can identify a need for that in this particular space that I'm in because I don't have enough separate hardware pieces of MIDI to warrant having that many connections. However, this is a beautiful little box and uh, does a lot of things really well and seems to have all the proper gazintas and gazoutas to <laughs> accommodate any of the needs that anybody might have, an appropriate number of USB versus MIDI hardware versus uh, what eighth inch pins or whatever, and uh, lots of cool programmability. The fact that you can use a keyboard over USB to name things was kind of clever. And, oh, I didn't uh, see that. Well spotted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can give custom names to things using your uh, USB keyboard, and it's cool. It's um, I might say a tad pricey, but it does a lot of stuff and is the perfect solution for somebody who needs those things done. So I I don't know if there's anything. I've not shopped one of these things in a long time, so I don't know if that's where the market value is on this thing. But it seems I don't, I don't uh, know. Yeah, it seems it's like a nice product. It's I mean the only other stuff that I can think of that does this level of patching requires a third party thing, and that's the uh, MIDI Connect. The uh, gosh, I connectivity. One. MIDI connectivity, yeah. That, that, I, I connectivity. I connectivity, yeah. that's right, yeah. Um, and that that's really good, but that's got RTP MIDI and MIDI host. But this has got a ton. I mean, yeah. you know, I know you'd be happy because there's a load of I.O. ports on... Um, on USB and a source and yeah. a destination, you can route ins and outs. It just seems like a really useful thing. And, I, I, you know, it's probably not... Mm. Yeah, not that exciting, but I find it exciting. Oh, well, I think things like this are exciting if you have got, like I have, like a many, need. many des uh, de uh, desktop modules. Um, I use RetroKits. Uh, I've got a bunch of RetroKits, uh, which don't quite go uh, well. They are pretty deep, actually, the RetroKits, but they do require, if you want to sort of um, set get deeper into the settings using, uh, like, a they've got, like, a web... Um, uh, uh, all the settings are on a web page. Yeah. So you can connect up and do it. Um, this having a built-in screen on there is super useful. Um, obviously, when you've got loads and loads of MIDI devices, especially lots of MIDI ins, you know, being able to filter yeah. uh, what's going on and being able to see what's going on, you know, in the filters. Um, like eye connectivity, as you as you mentioned, that is, you know, it's very it's supremely dense. sophisticated. It's a quite a dense thing, isn't it? Yeah, but 
I never ever got on with it, to be honest, with the with the uh, with the software. Um, I really didn't get on with it at all. Um, much preferring the the retro kits approach. But this is great, and actually, the Noodle uh, or the NDLR, as it's spelled, um, is a, a fabulous piece of equipment that they've. Um, has it been developed? Uh, has it been developing yeah. as we go? You've had, yes, you've had- yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been there's been updates for it, and it's uh, and it's a very cool and interesting uh, device. And I think that the uh, the genesis of that product kind of you can see how it leads to this one because the the noodle has got like two MIDI ins, two MIDI outs, and can handle a fair amount of uh, connectivity itself. Um, the noodler, of course, is essentially a it's like a note generator, arpeggiator. It can create drones, and it's got like four channels really that that it mainly works on. But the guys who were behind it, they developed the Noodler uh, because they got lots and lots of synths, and they wanted to have um, they wanted to have the notes being generated so they could then tweak and twiddle things um, because the, they were getting more and more bits of kit. So I right. think. And just being able they to play a for... note and have it all follow the kind of their their jam, I think that was the kind of yes. ideal. Exactly, one, yeah, exactly. The one thing I will say about this, and it's not necessarily a problem with them. As soon as and this is the thing I've been noticing because I've I, I'm looking at the Korg SQ sixty four, and I've got that. I've got the Blue Box ten ten, and all of the power is coming over USB. But as soon as there's mm. any analog connections between them, I'm getting in these awful ground loops, Dirty and it really it's ground the, loops. It's re- and I don't know whether or not that's something that you'd yeah. be able to solve, or they could build into having something mm. like this. But it's a re- it's a real <laughs> issue. What I've had to do is I've had to kind of go. Because I've, in fact, I just ordered one just now. Um, another US, you know, you get these kind of six port USB power things, but if you plug them all into the same one and then mm-hmm. analog between them somehow, whether it's CV or whatever, you start to get bloody hums and, and awful noises. What's that? That is a pretty cool thing. It's from Art. It's called a DTI, a dual transformer isolator. And what's pretty cool about that is it, it will completely have a. Uh, it will break any connection. I found that that is, <laughs> is pretty that good. good. <laughs> well, it was working <laughs> until I broke this in, and now it's broken. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it goes through some sort of isolation transfor- uh, transformer. So both sides are disconnected I'm from totally each right, other. Uh, and, and so, uh, But what actually, where that thing is super useful as well is it's really good for... Um, connecting you know when you when you want to do a fairly long cable run and you've got um you know phonos and jacks uh you could just go to but, balance yeah yeah they're about 50 quid but do you know yeah, what but, i mean if you think I, about with yeah, a 1010 music with a 1010 box that's got up to 16 inputs so that's going to cost me is that stereo or is that mono so that, that could cost uh, it's Stereo, two channels. Oh, okay, yeah. so I, I could for four hundred quid, I could connect everything up without. Um, <laughs> seems reasonable. Yeah, good point. That's the thing. I, I don't know whether this is going to be an issue with this. I mean, I have no idea, but it, it's something that I'm can increasingly find as as I'm reviewing more and more USB widgets. Have you have you been getting those issues, Rich? I mean, because as as more of this stuff becomes miniaturized and desktoped and powered over USB power. Dirty power is really, it's its not, a, USB is not a great power source, particularly if you're using audio signals, right? Yes, I have definitely found myself managing USB in order to provide power to the things that need it at any given time. And they all look the same, but they don't all act the same, USB ports. And uh, 
Oh, definitely. The laptop next to me is actually well known for having this. It's a MacBook Pro from 2016. And it turns out that the ports on one side are not equal to the ports on the other side. And you have to allocate as needed, <laughs> which I do. Well, I've got, yeah, no, I've, I've had the issue because this, this is a, a late 216, but it's a Retina touch bar. Uh, actually, I've got a shot of it here. Yeah, it's right got there. a touch bar too. Um, but it's one of the USB ports is gone. It only accepts power now. Oh. I can only use, and they just, this, this is something that sort of seems to happen. But I mean, you know, to be fair, I have had many, well, five years nearly of, uh, of, of usage, so I can't be too complained, but I don't fancy a new computer, that's for sure, just because of USB hum. <laughs> mm. Anyway, a MIDI's supposed to be optically decoupled, isn't it? But it doesn't work when you're doing it over USB. Anyway, I'm not going to bang on about it, but it's <laughs> definitely a thing that you need to watch out for. But this, yeah, the Conductive Labs uh, shipping mm. now. I think you can pre-order on Backer Kit, which I've never heard of. But that, you know, they're good for it. We know that the Noodler and people really swear by the Noodler, and you know, so good, good on them. I think it's going to be a good, uh, yeah, a good thing. I would hope. Right. Uh, let me see. I think uh, I've. Well, we've got a, a, another a message from somebody else this week. Uh, our friends over. I, I found, I'll, I'll, let me. Uh, let, let's play that. Uh, this modal, uh, the Cobalt A, which I reviewed recently. Uh, lovely looking thing. Great sounding virtual instrument. Morphable four pole ladder filter. 29 endless encoders, really nice piece of hardware, some great sound, secrets, uh, MPE support works lovely with MPE, free modal app for OS, Windows, Android, and iOS. Uh, you can pick yours up. I mean, it's worth checking out. Go over to modal if you use the URL bit.ly slash get modal. Go and check out the Cobalt 8. So it's certainly a really tasty. I, I wish I still had it here. Unfortunately, I had to send it back, which is just one of those things, But uh, which is so often the case these days. People can't... <laughs> We don't get a lot of stuff for free, but, you know, it's nice when things hang around for a bit longer. Anyway, um, next topic. Let me see. Uh, oh, yeah. Did you see this? This is the new Google exhibition. Uh, Music Makers Machines. Two years in the making. Absol I mean, I, I can't remember how much. I mean, let me see. What is it? Uh, 13,000 archive photo and video assets, 200 online exhibitions, 360 tour 3D scans, augmented reality, bespoke editorial features, sounds, uh, iconic cities. There's a, even a lesson plan if you fancy kind of putting stuff together. <laughs> it's actually... Uh, what's amazing about this is, A, wouldn't it be great to be working for Google getting working on projects like this? I mean... And this is just a, a massive resource and also kind of an interesting sort of view onto the future of maybe exhibitions and this kind of no notion of space. And if anyone can do it in a convincing way, then perhaps it's going to be Google that do it. Now, I know, Rich, you were um, you studied electronic music, you know, uh, back in the day. So some of this stuff is going to be <laughs> there may even well, I say back in the day, you know, when you were learning you as in your youth, that's the same sort of thing without being too insulting. <laughs> d did you get a chance to check out? Any of this. I mean, you could get lost in this for, for days, I reckon. I walked into the lobby and looked around, is all I did. I didn't go <laughs> as deep as you did. I'm looking forward to going in there and looking around deeper. But uh, in terms of the show prep, that's all I really had time to do today. Yeah, it I mean, it, it's, it feels like a real time commitment. Yeah, but, but you can take it in, you know, as many slices as you want. I just, I'm really looking forward to spending a little more time than I had a chance to. But I did look around the lobby and immediately was let intrigued. me open it up because there is a sort of ar mm. aspect to this if i can brief you can also you can share particular areas and uh let me see how it works 
I'll try and fit. Let's just hit for the music. Tech nerd. Let's go to tech nerd and have a look. Because there's this AR stuff, which I'm trying to find. But Daphne O'Rap, you know, just a whole bunch. And you, as you drill further in, Pioneer Music Concrete, uh, you know, this is... There's a ton of resources and really, you know, they've, they've worked with a whole bunch of organisations and, and who've been kind enough to share their assets to give us these, these details. And nice high res. I'm trying to find now, this is the thing that I've lost. I can't find the bloody, the AR thing, <laughs> which was what, where you could sort of grab a synth, drop it onto a grid and then play it to a degree and certain of the knobs will do certain things. It's actually quite cool. I know, Gaz, did you get a chance to, ch to look it out? Uh, well, similar to Rich, I mean, the thing that's immediately overwhelming is just how much content is in there. And I think uh, huge kudos to them for doing this, because I think it's it's an incredible resource and it's all free. I'm assuming it's all free. I didn't notice any paywall on there. Um, it is, yeah. Yeah. So quite an, quite an astonishing thing. Um, the thing is, I hadn't heard anything about it until I saw the show notes. I mean, is it widely known about? I mean, is it when when did it launch? Well, it launched, uh, I, I think it was last week, because I got a pre-warning, which was last year, saying, you know, who do I send information to? When we, and I didn't know what it was. And then I got a, another email in the thread kind of three months later saying, OK, we're ready, and here it is. It's like, wow. Um, and it, 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 I, I mean, it must be doing well. But what it, what I think is really cool about it is the fact that it, it shows this this sort of trend a little bit in that people in these big this big corporate environment kind of value the electronic music world and the arts world because they're doing things in in a number of different things and it seems to be this sort of maybe they're pushing the idea of creativity and artistry being less of a commodity again and being back more into art that's what i'm hoping be nice mm, wouldn't interesting it? point yeah yeah very much so um there is a i mean it's a very stylish presentation as well this is isn't it and you know utilizing very diff different media forms as well uh, you say two years in the making and wow you can tell because it's this is a uh, i think what i mean is there's a proper labor of love going on here as well it's uh yeah i'm just trying to find the uh, an, aston an, an astonishing resource i'm just trying to find the uh information where where the there's the 3d ones well, uh, here, is this... Ah, if yeah, if you click on go. them, if you were to click on one of them, then you get the AR link off them. Ah, okay. Oh, there we go. Mm. Look, we've got a Profit 10. Ooh, okay. I used to really... I used to really, yeah. really... Uh, and they've been on the mark as well with these. You know, they're, they're picking good iconics, not not kind of the, sort of somebody's idea of what electronic music is. It's not like yeah. a, a kazoo and a, and, a, and a... You know, it's actually properly... <laughs> see, this is from the Swiss... Center of Music Electronic, yeah, the SMEM, which we've uh, we've come across. I'm just trying to find the AR link. I can't find it now. View in augmented reality. Okay, how do we there do that? There it is. Then? Oh, how you, do I yeah. do? Oh, I need to view, need view on the web. I haven't got an app. I can't do that. But this is not obviously one that you can play. Great labor of love and uh, well yeah. worth checking out because there is just so much there. I mean, you can bookmark various things and kind of drop breadcrumbs so that you find your way back. It's the sort of thing mm -hmm. that you would honestly, you just, it's like, you know, Hansel and Gretel, basically. It's like going into the woods. <laughs> you'll never come out again. Uh, as particularly, I mean, particularly if you're, maybe you're wearing uh, augmented or, or virtual reality, maybe you've got a helmet on or something and you then you get lost in synthesizers. That'd be pretty cool. But it's a, it's a, it's a great idea. And But you're right, Gaz, yeah. not so much in terms of uh, um, the promotion. Oops. Yeah, 
Wrong oh. <laughs> it's a bit massive then. <laughs> yeah, big massive. I beg your pardon. Well, yeah, but it, yeah, but I guess that's what we're here to tell everyone all about it. Uh, and and I would absolutely recommend people look at it if you if you're the sort of a bit indifferent about it. It's certainly worth a look. I mean, it's just it's just as I say, the amount that's on there is just I I was. I just I thought I would have a good look through it before the show, and I just couldn't. It was yeah, just too vast, it's just too, it's too much, and it's deep. Yeah. It's you know, it's not. It's mm. that they, they, they've they've put different entry points. So if you're a nerd, you can go in deep. If you're just a sort of casually interested, you can go. So they've created these stratas mm. in which you can actually explore, which makes it perfect for a wide variety of people. So very well thought out. Cool. Good work, good work, Google. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Uh, ah, yeah. This was. Let me see if I can find this one. Um. Now, this is the image that I'm looking for. So, right, how many screens is enough? This is the... If I load this up again... <laughs> so this is... I mean, and you know, to be fair, this this is going to lead on to a bit more of a work workflow topic idea. So so this mm. is the uh, Expanscape Aurora 7 prototype, which, to be fair, is designed to be a kind of mobile security centre. So it's the sort of thing you can imagine in Jurassic Park where they go into the control room <laughs> and, the, and the kid's trying to kind of... DOS into the command line or, you know, minority report the van out on the road. You know, this is the idea. And it, you can see that it's very prototype because it essentially looks like gaffer tape held that together. There's seven screens. That's uh, a lovely idea. They say that, that the idea was to be that, you know, it's supposed to be you know, the perfect, no compromised laptop. And then somebody pointed out in one of the articles, well, actually, it's only got a battery life of one hour. So, you know, not exactly, <laughs> but I guess you could think of it more like a UPS maybe in that situation. Yeah. Uh, but really, I was thinking more about how we work with screens and how you, you know, because... Screen real estate is becoming more and more important because as we can do more and more things and have more things to overview, it's kind of, there are lots of different ways to do it. Like, you know, for instance, you guys, you've got like a big 4K screen, so you go that way. Yeah. Whereas I myself here have multiple screens. So I've got uh, chat over here. This is the interface for the switcher. This is my, um, I can't remember what it's called again. Auto queue where I'm looking through so I can look through the camera. This is the web page that I'm looking at. This is the notes, you know, so I need I need multiple screens. It wouldn't work on a 4K thing because I'd be looking around the whole time. I need it for specific purposes. So I'm just curious how hmm. how you approach that and whether you think that something like this would actually be useful. I mean, I think you'd need to customize it for music obviously, but yeah. It's kind of interesting. I mean, the thing that immediately I thought about was that if everything lived on specific screens would be yeah. pretty cool, you know, and creating a virtual studio type environment, having your outboard or your virtual outboard in always visible, that kind of thing. Um, I've sort of d done that in a little way. I mean, you can see behind me is a big screen and then to the side, there's a 24 inch screen, which used to be a big screen, didn't it? God, yeah. imagine that when we are back <laughs> on the days of, I mean, going from a 14 inch screen to a 15 inch screen was a big deal, wasn't it? <laughs> well, um, Retina was really what blew my mind because I couldn't see any of the text. It was too small. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think it's quite interesting. Like Cubase, for instance, uh, was really geared about running it with multiple screens and then subsequent releases of it has seen it introduced like the the lower zone and the two side zones more for a kind of laptop style workflow but still maintaining a multi-screen approach if you want to um but it it's one of these things if you move stuff around like i have a tendency to move stuff around uh 
it can really throw your workflow and throw you. It's so handy to kind of, uh, well, typically when I'm working, the small screen is, uh, when I'm using Cubase, the smaller screen is always displaying the mixer. It's just always the mixer there. It's got the master outputs there and I can always see that. Um, and lately I've been using Supervision in Cubase 11. Check out the Sonic State review if you want to know more. <laughs> um, nice plug. And running Supervision full screen on the smaller screen there. And it's, and that becomes a little bit like, uh, you know, the, the, the TC um, loudness meter you can get is a little standalone one. That's really good. Uh, but I'm running, uh, so I'll run Supervision on that screen. And I've been really enjoying that and using, uh, and using it, to monitor LUFs, you know, loudness units, right, okay. um, trying to Im immerse myself in that. So by always seeing the what's happening in the kind of LUFs area, that's, yeah. So that's one way of using a screen, almost as, a, as I say, as a dedicated meter. It's interesting. Rich, I mean, uh, you know, one of the difficulties I think is if you get too visual with your mixing, you're mixing with your eyes, which is not what you're supposed to use, really. I mean, do you do you would you feel more comfortable with less screen real estate space or more? Do you kind of like to have large areas where you could go, this is always here, this is always there, or do you prefer to just try and keep things away so that you use your ears more? Well, yes and no. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not as it relates to whether or not I use visuals in the mixing, and we can have that conversation. But as it relates to having a whole lot of screens around, certainly in a broadcast style um, workflow like what you're doing right now, it's very important to be able to see a lot of different things at the same time, and that's understandable. In a in an operation of studio music software, you're operating in a trade off depending on the size of the space you're in of the amount that all of those screens are going to affect the sound of the space you're in and how badly you need it to sound that way. It depends ah, on the kind of work you do there. So true, for yeah. example, I'm mixing things here as crazy as that sounds. And that will feed into the point we made a second ago. So I'm mixing here and this is far from an optimal space, but I'm so close to my monitors that it's about as near field and headphone like as you can get. Um, I'm not, in other words, advantaging my, I'm not leveraging this silly little, uh, cinder uh, sheetrock box that I'm sitting in for its acoustical <laughs> properties. Right. Um, and being that that's the case, there's a range of things that I can't hear here, particularly in the low bass, that I know I can't hear. And you'd be tempted quite often when you can't hear something to boost it a lot, um, which sometimes I'm smart enough not to do. But in any case, I use, seeing as how they sponsored the show, <laughs> Isotope's Tonal Balance Control 2, to show me what I can't hear, uh, knowing yeah. that I can't hear it here. I don't mix to a specific curve, although I do compare to the curves they've got and try to fall, and found that generally falling more or less within those guidelines sounds pretty good So and, and translates well across multiple systems. So I don't mind that part of it, but I'm not using it for that. I'm using it to identify either problem frequency piles that I'm not, otherwise hearing on my own and adjusting the low frequency aspects of this space because I can't hear everything in the base right. in this little space right here. So to that extent, I do use visuals, but uh, I don't have room. I mean, I have a laptop over here and I have an iPad over here and I don't mind putting things on different screens. I used to travel with multiple monitors, but 
there's something about the workflow of you, it's in front of you, the sound's in front of you, all of the energy is focused this way all the time. And I learned to manage this in such a way that now I have multiple desktops open all the time with the kinds of multiple screens and I can switch them very quickly. And I use console one by Softube, which overlays on top of whatever you're doing anyway. So you can see that and make it go away instantly at any point. And the whole workflow has become pretty comfortable on one pretty big screen. It could be bigger. It could wrap around. There's things it could do. But 27 inches is working for me at this distance. Right. So okay. That's an interesting point about, about the visual, mm. uh, being able to see the frequencies. I mean, because even just having like a spectrum analyzer or something which shows, or FFT, so you can see, because like you say, I mean, I'm here, I've got my, my little Genelex in here, and I built this uh, over overbridge thing and since i put them up there they sound completely different to what they used to sound with yeah. on the desk down there of course. and i can't yeah. i can't really tell what's going on in the bottom end but i wouldn't mix you know necessarily anything important on them i mean i've got various other sets of speakers but that's an interesting so having a visual so i know because i know that there's um there were some tc things weren't there which was like a yeah. uh just a screen that was like a mastering panel that was a, a standalone unit that just was only dedicated and back back in the old yes. school days you know, some of the big studios would just have an RTA, a real-time analyzer, somewhere in the room, so you would look over in case you weren't aware of some of that stuff, just to give you some visuals. So Rich is... Uh, Rich is uh, I'm pretty sure that Isotope includes a base module that does exactly that and breaks it down. Basically, your whole screen is the bottom three octaves of the sound spectrum or four octaves. Right. And you can, you can see and customize things. And certainly... Yeah, they do show you a lot, and they allow you to adjust a lot over there at Isotope. We love them. Um, uh, but anyway. Yes. Yeah, no, pretty few of us hear the bass properly. Very yeah. few of us live in environments where we hear bass properly. So I think getting a look at it is a good thing. Very, very good point. Sorry, Gaz, were you uh, about to come in there? I'm, I've lost my track. I, I checked over to nope. the chat room because I noticed that uh, Kevlux Pierce <laughs> is over there, Geosynth, so we've got, yeah. uh, got a bunch of other YouTubers over there. In fact, if I press the uh, right button, then it might actually be uh, appropriate. I think the topic of metering, I mean, because obviously the topic being uh, about monitor screens, but I think we maybe should return to the topic of metering uh, in, in a future show, perhaps, okay. because I am finding that, more and more useful and i'm wondering if other people are having similar experiences the tc panel that you were mentioning there um had one here briefly that was really nice and just uh there's so many different ways to view your levels and that kind of thing i think uh yeah i think there's something maybe we could talk about again in yeah, no, I want to learn. So. I want to learn more about that. Yeah. Well, of course, we haven't uh, we haven't actually got um, um, in the same way. You know, most of us haven't got rooms that we'll be able to hear much down there. You know, I mean, we we don't often get the luxury of working in a room where you can hear those things. I recently did a, a recorded a mm. podcast with uh, the music tech guys, which was uh, your forever studio, and uh, you know, you have to choose six pieces of gear that. Uh, you know that and that's it that's all you get so you've got to choose very wisely and i just chose a pair of atc massive atc active speakers that were like 15 grand or whatever because i know i've i've, I've heard those speakers and i know that what i'm going to hear in those i can hear the low end in those because they sound fantastic but i yeah you know, am i going to ever have them in front of me here no i'm not i'm not going to be in a room that's that's going to even be able to accommodate them but yeah an interesting uh an interesting one i think and well while we're on the subject of uh, isotope it's now time for me to uh, bring in a message from them about their sponsorship and uh, their subscription system so let's 
Francesca. Isotope Producers Club is a one-of-a-kind membership for producers ready to take their tracks to the next level. Once you join, you'll gain access to powerhouse Isotope plugins and a curated selection of tools from our partners, such as Melodyne from Celimony. Plus, as long as you're a member, you'll get every future update to the Isotope plugins in your membership for no extra cost. We'll also regularly serve you new curated content like exclusive inspiration-sparking sample packs and preset packs and industry-leading training ranging from our own tutorials to vocal production lessons from the world-renowned Berkeley Online, taught by Grammy-winning producer and engineer, Prince Charles Alexander. With new content being added every month full of valuable production techniques, tips and tricks, and solutions to common production problems, becoming a member is an investment in your career that grows as you and your career do. For more information on Isotope Producers Club, head to isotope.com. And don't forget, uh, you can also save 10% on other products. If you go to isotope.com forward slash Sonic Talk, use the code SONIC10 and you will be able to save there. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I just want to clear a couple of things up. In the, uh, the What I was talking about previously was the idea of these uh, forever studio where you only had... There's a very strict rule. There are no bundles, so you can't say, I want the whole of x or y or a yeah. studio it has to be an individual piece of equipment though i did manage to bend that quite significantly i actually chose as my audio interface a behringer not a behringer midas m32 <laughs> because it's got hmm. an audio face it comes as an audio interface built in and it's also got a load of effects so anyway that was that was uh, i didn't go for a neve or something because a neve wouldn't have the built-in effects and it wouldn't have the audio interface, so I'd need to use up another choice to get those things. And I, anyway, it's, I can't wait for it to come out. It's quite interesting. Um, let's see what else we have. Let's go back to my uh, topic list. How many screens is enough? Oh yeah, man. I'll play. I'll now. I'll play <laughs> as much of this as I can get away with, or I feel I could get away with. I suspect it'll be about two seconds, but uh, once I've played it, it will come straight off. So here's the video. <laughs> Right, I don't do any more because that's a Grammy winner right there. That's Jacob Collier, and the, we'll get a copyright strike or something. Uh, Jacob Collier got a, a, another Grammy, and I didn't even know he had one. But not only has he got one, he's got blooming four, now, five now. It's, five. it's just yeah, five, five and two nominations. Uh, that was the track. Uh, he won't hold you like I do. Uh, or hold you like, and that's with uh, off the the DJ the DJ uh, volume Jesse, three Jesse D Jesse sorry I don't know how to pronounce it volume it's three Jesse Jesse D Jesse volume three uh, four <laughs> of four volumes proper concept album in a way yeah. and so yeah that's his fourth Grammy and that's astonishing because he's a very even though I mean he's very if you're in the industry we've covered some some of his stuff before many years ago I think when we first got, became aware of him we were sort of marvelled at his multi instrumentalism and fluidity it just music he's obviously highly skilled and the music just flows out of him in this way that's quite sickening in many ways but also a joy to see <laughs> <laughs> but but the kid you know he's there's no denying that guy is an absolute rare talent. I know, Rich. I mean, we've we've talked about this. I mean, he's he's now do guest lectures at Berkeley. I mean, he's he's a pretty he's a, a pretty Renaissance man, I would say. And five Grammys at his age. What is he? Twenty four, twenty five? Crazy. Twenty six. Twenty six. Thanks, guys. He's phenomenal in the literal sense of what the word phenomenal means. He's phenomenal, and uh, 
his ability and his performance quality, his ability. He hits things on the first take like all the time. <laughs> it's not even like most of the time. He to operate the way he does and create tracks live in front of audiences like that. He doesn't sit there and rehearse it five times, or maybe he does once or twice and he kids you about it, but but almost never. He generally just bangs out performances and they're all just ridiculously spot on. And uh, his knowledge of music theory is stunning and his ability to relate it to people is also stunning. And uh, and he's a very nice guy. It seems and, to uh, be. thrilled to meet him. And uh, he opened... He opened for Chic at a concert in France once, and uh, he was incredible and a very, very, very nice guy. And I'm in, I am in awe of his ability. Yeah, and it's also he seems to get the kind of notion of, you know, because I mean, when I was when I was sort of forming my musical kind of DNA, I suppose the the there were there were still quite big players and jazz groups, you know, Weather Report and things which and and and. and um, where musicality and the ability to play was in the pop realm, where it's not been so much recently. You know, the actual kind of the real high-grade high sort of virtuoso stuff has seemed to be ring-fenced in a more specialised area of music, you know, perhaps not so mainstream. And he seems to be bringing that back a bit, Gaz. I sound like you're gagging to come yeah. in here. You know, you've got all the facts. <laughs> you did more research than I did, so. <laughs> well, I mean, Jacob is someone who I follow closely and, and just blows my mind, really. Um for me, what he represents is this thing that I kind of anticipated, really, and uh, that is young people who are just surpassing anyone who's ever been before because of their access, their unparalleled ah, access to, to information, the history maybe. of music and information. And I mean, Jacob comes from, a, you know, his mother is a very, uh, very highly regarded uh, concert violinist. Um, and I think both of his sisters are musicians too. Um, so very, very musical background. However, you know, he was, uh, I mean, he really was a, a product of YouTube, wasn't he? He, he was seen perform. some of his fantastic videos were seen, uh, by uh, Quincy Jones's management, he was subsequently signed to Quincy Jones's management. Was he age sixteen or something like that? Very young. So, um, so has managed to kind of create a very interesting path. Now, one thing I do think is worth uh, checking out regarding Jacob. If you find him a little bit too much, um, like for instance, that there's a famous uh, clip of him performing in Canada, and this is the beginning of the gig. He runs out comes out on stage and immediately gets the audience singing complex harmonies with with each other right from the start you know and the confidence uh and just his sheer exuberance in and ability to do that is absolutely stunning and then he subsequently runs around each instrument on a stage being an incredible virtuoso on all of these things now if that sort of thing is really not your cup of tea you know there's such a wide range of stuff in his oeuvre that um, the the Tiny Desk concert, well, there's two that are worth mentioning. The first one I'll mention was from a couple of years ago where he's playing some of the more gentler songs off Jesse version, um, volume three, I think it is. Um, and those songs, together with a bunch of other musicians, are performed very, very delicately, beautifully, in fact. Right. So it's, so it's almost like any criticism I have of him being over busy or whatever... 
Well, that's part. I, it's interesting. That there's a really good piece which I also when I was researching the show, I, this other piece came up, which was him playing uh, Danny Boy, which is a, a Irish kind of standard, on the piano, and he just applies emotions to the arrangements of it. So you know, first one is joy, anger, uh, mystery. You know, and then then he then he does more complex emotions, such as kind of whimsical. Something or other, you know, he, and compact, and and each one, you're just thinking, yeah, he's kind of getting that across, and it's a, that's the thing, this connection between the emotion and the skill right. that is that fluent is quite, that's quite a unique talent, I think. I don't think that's something that many people, or certainly hmm. many people, c can communicate what what and how they're doing it like he can. Really, really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, the other tiny desk that I mentioned, though, is one that he recorded during lockdown last year where he performs with himself. Uh, is it four or five versions of himself in his room that he still lives at home, has lived in the same house all his life? And this music room, I think, is, is a very, very important part of his musical journey. And he does this performance where he's playing like bass, drums, piano, percussion. Oh, I can't remember if it's four or five things. Uh, and has filmed himself superimposed. But it's astonishing. That is astonishing. His talent and his feel for all these different instruments are just, it's off the scale. It, yeah. Yeah. Well worth I, checking out. I mean, if you also, already, also, I mean, us oldies. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, it makes us feel. No, I was going to say, we're, we're finished. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> so um, before we move on, I've got a couple of topics left and we're getting kind of close well i suppose we could probably do both of them let's let's do this one next because this is kind of interesting this is ableton live is um, a creative a video by uh, julian gray including myself and it's multiple it's, it's like a history of ableton live but also of, through a whole bunch of other uh, videos uh, especially within the electronic i'll jump to this one book g4 this is ableton the live version, version one, one was largely thought of as a live performance tool and didn't make huge waves with the studio producer crowd initially but it did catch the attention of many specifically for its industry-leading implementation of real-time audio stretching, its session arrangement view options, effectively a recording platform for... Two things. Um, one, if you're into kind of like uh, vintage software, watch the begin whole beginning of this video because it goes through a whole bunch of things. The other thing is, look how, how not different the Ableton UI is right back from version <laughs> one to where it is now. That yep. consistency, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing because I personally find some of the limitations a little bit infuriating, but we'll get onto that. But the other thing that struck me, I remember this uh, very vividly when I was at Music Messer uh, it was last century sometime and somebody coming up, have you checked out Ableton Live? It's like, I don't know what it is, you know. And then it came, it sort of, it came up as a, almost more of a DJ tool because it had that real-time time stretching so you could match tempos and people were using it for DJ sets. That seemed to be where it jumped to begin with to come out into into popular kind of usage but now obviously it's it's absolutely massive i know rich i know you you are a dabbler in live i mean it's got some amazing workflow stuff we know 11 has just come out so hold 10 versions back to one and it's the same <laughs> it's crazy basically substantially the workflow hasn't changed if anything it's improved they've they've been pretty steadfast so. <laughs> well they created a whole um methodology that ran sort of counter to all of the linear DAWs in on first glance. Now, 
and they kept saying, well, there's this other page where you can do that too. Oh, okay, cool. But, um, but they were focused on the page that looks like a mixer. That's really your clip launch page. And, um, I love working in Ableton live. I love the workflow. Um, I love the possibilities that they offer even just within the program. If you didn't have a single plugin on your computer and you were you were running the thing on a brand new OS install, you could make some great music just with what's there. And uh, I think it's fantastic what they've done. And uh, congratulations, because yeah, I, I think, do love using it. Yeah, I think I chose, as my DOW of choice, I think I chose Ableton, but I was on PC because I needed a PC for other things that I required, but I would have gone for Ableton. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, but it's amazing, isn't it, Gaz, that, you know, that 20 yeah. years of software. I mean, and even that, you know, that sounds mm -hmm. like a long time, but we, as we know, Steinberg have been going even longer because they went further back. But yeah. this, the, yeah. the, the, I mean... Ableton Live were probably the well the, one of the first big newcomers onto the door scene. You no, know, back when before we started to see even more DAWs being invented. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I got I got a hold of Ableton when version one was first released and was an instant convert to it. I I loved it straight away and subsequently followed each release with a lot of um you know a lot of anticipation really you know um i bought it from version four and that was the biggie version four because that brought in midi and uh it, i i just i i loved the consistency you know and i've remarked on that i think it's incredible how they've done that and how they had established that look right at the beginning and have stayed very true to that vision. The the whole uncluttered, minimalist design uh, and essentially no floating windows um, and just the elegance really of the session view and the arrangement view. And uh, I, I taught it at a, at a music, um, at a adult, at a college for adults um, for a number of years. And it was, a, it's actually, a, it's a really nice, it's a really nice piece of software to teach people as well, that it's, that because they're not overwhelmed with information that you can. Right. So that people get of, it quick. I would agree. I mean, I, I, yeah. I use it occasionally. I think I've done a couple of tracks. In fact, we've got a, a Sonic compilation album coming up sometime in the not too distant future. And I, I did one, one track. I think I did the the basics <laughs> I can't remember maybe I use Reaper actually whoops I, no but I, one of the one of the tracks on my EP I've used but t taking the you know to, to, to work completely in one DAW another to be able to move Ableton feels like a mm. really easy one to move from other DAWs too because it you, you you even though you're yeah. paradigm shifting, the idea of throwing ideas down very quickly is really compelling with it. I mean, there mm -hmm. are limitations, but most of those have now been addressed in terms of uh, like with Live 11, things like MPE and comping and things which are more your yeah. kind of linear DAW uh, um, features are now, you know, front and centre and in there. So I guess it makes it a lot more usable for people who are maybe thinking of jumping to another place uh, or from another more traditional mm. uh, layout. And it is, obviously, it is a DAW. I, I, I remember using that phrase in, in something that I said, and uh, they said, it, but it is a DAW. And it's, yes, of course, it's a DAW. I know it is. I don't know, Rich. Uh, uh, do, do, you, have you, do you start and finish projects from start to finish in it, or do you require other environments? I have... I, I don't know if I don't know what finished is because none of it ever got released until the project you're about to discuss. <laughs> right. um, but but uh, 
And that one didn't get finished in it, um, as it turned, but it got mostly finished in it. Um, I could very easily do, I don't know about using it for doing vocal takes like Jacob Collier, for example, <laughs> who will leverage hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of logic tracks. Um, I don't know if I want to do that in there, but I love right. it for what it does well. And it, it was the first one. It may not be the only one anymore. I'm not even sure. Bitwig probably does this too, that you don't ever have to hit stop. You yeah. can just keep playing music while you're working. You never, you don't have to hit stop to do anything. You can load arm and mm -hmm. go into record on pretty much anything, audio, MIDI, you know, whatever you like. And, uh, and it'll in real time, it'll warp it. If you ask it to, there, there are things like, like, for example, I'd never done a basic track session into Ableton uh, with live drums and players. You can right. do it. I've seen it done. I have actually watched it demonstrated. And at least at the time I saw it done, it was hard to get it to stop warping everything. I mean, you basically had to go track by track and tell it to stop warping everything at that time. Either that or the guy who was showing it to me didn't know how to do it any other way. But the point <laughs> is, in a moment like that, I don't want warping. I oh, want to hear what yeah. they're playing. You know, I want it to be a, a blank slate audio recorder. I want it to be able to do that, too. And I know it will do that, mm. too. But uh, so, no, I like doing improvised clocked electronic based rhythmic i love the rhythmic possibilities and i love the ease of uh invoking all kinds of very very cool modules that they provide to do very cool audio processing and midi and it's just a fun place to work for certain things right yeah absolutely i mean a lot you know as we've seen uh we have to get people in here to demonstrate new features of it and you know the people who really master it to that kind of the degree uh, can fly around it, but it's, it's just really interesting to yeah. see uh, this development through through twenty years of uh, software. Mm -hmm. You'd struggle, Gaz, to be able to do that with uh, Cubase. You'd need a lot of different machines, right? Going right back to well, Steinberg Pro Twenty Four, Pro Sixteen. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, geez, oh gosh, imagine. yes, yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I think Cubase should really be Cubase. 16 now because cubase got up to version 5 before they did the sx reboot and then it was cubase sx 2 and cubase sx 3 and then when they got to cubase cubase sx 4 they dropped the sx and just went made it cubase 4 even though it had got to, to cubase 5 before so it's just just to clear that up if that hasn't confused everyone even more <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but but I think um, just returning to Ableton and the point Rich was making, um, I've used it. Uh, I've recorded an album, um, William D. Drake, uh, The Rising of the Lights, um, formerly of Cardiacs, uh, that came out in, was it 2010? And that album was recorded entirely in Ableton. And it's a traditional, well, it's hardly traditional, but a traditional instrument uh, album with drums, piano, bass, etc. And... I was just, I was really curious to see if it was possible. And back then it was possible, but it was frustrating. There were aspects that kind of really, oh, that was, um, if you went into record then, and you're in the middle of a recording and you want to just make a little adjustment to the levels, someone's playing piano along and you just want to drop the drum level, but you were in record, you drop the volume, that would put an automation in that you didn't want and you couldn't uh. override little, you know, so things like that, which, you know, 
I'm sure kind of, that all that kind of stuff is is is, is probably yeah. being, being. So you just had that kind of global. You could only yeah. do it with a global record, uh, I, but you can. There is a menu option which would be to disable warp samples, um, which is something that you absolutely it, have to globally. Uh, dis, 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 globally, yes. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, and then, <laughs> okay, uh, oh well, dis, I think it was uh, disable warp. Or to warp long samples, so anything that was over a few seconds long or something. Um, okay. But now, and with eleven, and as you mentioned, with the, with the comping, you know, comping was one thing that I could have really done with back back in the day. Um, yeah, that that's a big difference, but, isn't it? Yes. So you know, it being used as a standard recording tape recorder style approach is way more way more possible these days. Yeah. But, yeah. But yeah. Interesting video though. I thoroughly recommend it. Mm. Uh, that's worth checking out. I put the link in the uh, in the show notes. I'll do it again just because it might. I may have forgotten. I've, I can't remember what I'm doing most of the time. So I've uh, there you go. Proved it. There it's been posted. So that will go what? to all the various different streams. May uh, I make one, one more point? Yes, of course, Rich. Nick. Um, some years ago, a friend of mine and I did a mixer shootout between different DAWs where we started with a particular set of WAV files and imported them into various DAWs and mixed them. I mean, mixed them based on the raw files that were there. But just to listen to the different, the effect that the different software mixers were having. Right. And they were quite different between Pro Tools, Logic, Ableton, I think those are the three we did at the time. Now, I know that this was a long time ago, and they've all developed since that time, and I don't make any assumptions about the conclusions we reached back then. But I think that as somebody decides whether or not they want to use Ableton, and, and it may well be desirable to do it um, as an audio recorder in the same way that you use Pro Tools and in the same way that you use whatever Cakewalk or whatever your favorite audio recorder is, it might be useful to examine the sound of the mixer. Yeah, that that's a good point. First. Well, I know a lot of people, I, I, we had someone on, they were saying that the Cubase mixer sounded fantastic. And also uh, Harrison Mixbus gets a lot of love, doesn't it? That's one of the things that they make a big deal about. The, 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 the I guess it's the maths, isn't it? I mean, it must be just the kind of maths that you use. I don't know, Gaz, you might know well, a little bit more about that. Or maybe you know. As does Softube with their software. Everybody's console software, Brainworks, uh, touts their... Uh, tolerance modeling where each channel on the console is a little bit different uh which hmm. more closely mimics what actual consoles do oh, which is also okay. stuff you can disable so they've got features that make their stuff kind of unique too and softube's console one which i've been using a lot lately does but uh, that kind of gets between you and the daw but i'm just talking about the sound of the just DAW. the straight yeah the straight sum okay interesting interesting right um there was something about Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. There was something about thirty-two bit float in uh, in the Cubase engine, I think, where um, to actually clip the engine is really difficult to do. Um, mm -hmm. Well, there was something like that. That the massive amount more headroom than it was on other DAWs. Uh, whether that's changed now, I, I don't know. But that was always something that gave that Cubase advantage. Um, yeah. Well, there was always I a big deal. I I, there was, sorry, go, Rich. I think it's pretty widely offered now, though. I know Pro Tools does it, and I know Studio One does it. I haven't looked at Logic lately, but I'll bet you it does. 
Um, yeah, well, there, there's, there was that time, wasn't there, where you know the the, the, write, the rewriting of the underlying audio engine was the big stuff. Because I remember Logic for years and years and years just hadn't had that updated, and then it finally, I think, when they went to to Apple were purchased, that's when the audio engine got rewritten and was ready for a kind of rehash and maybe got better, bigger headroom or whatever. Because it's a it's a, it's it's a no mean feat, I would imagine, to kind of completely replace the underlying technology that <laughs> drives your yeah. entire thing. You know, so yeah. Um, okay. Okay, let's have a quick... This is the last topic. This was uh, just literally a new bit of furniture. This is by audiohousing.com. This is a Scandinavian mid-century design. This is the idea of uh, creating, uh, you know... It's, it looks essentially like a, a swanky IKEA work desk, but it's got it's, it looks way more solid than that. I, I don't want to sit down and sell it. Uh, you've got two... Um, um, uh, sliding shelves, you know, it, it can be set up to the, the, the top shelf for the monitors. You've got a little bit more space so you can kind of put bigger monitors on. And it's just an interesting kind of thought. It, again, this wasn't necessarily let's talk about this particular desk. It was more a question of, because I'm very much of the mind that if you're going to have a workspace to work with your music equipment, you should either build it yourself or design it yourself and get it built to your specifications and then it will do what you need to do. Because otherwise you end up with this kind of, thing that's, that would suit somebody else or you have a homogeneity to it. And I, that's just the way I'm, I'm kind of practical. So as you can see here, I've built this overbridge. I mean, I'm not, you know, mm -hmm. cosmetically brilliant at doing this sort of stuff, but it's, it feels like, a you know, I, I built this to my specifications, meant I could mount everything how I wanted it. I don't know how you feel about that, Rich. I mean, Rich, you know, if you've, if you've got a, a, a proper console, like a Neve or something which is of a certain size and shape, there are only certain options that are available to you, I guess. So... You don't have necessarily quite as much leeway, but what school do you fall into when it comes to studio furniture? Build or buy? Or it's design? purpose. It has to do with the purpose that you're going to do it for. For example, if you're in a Hollywood post-production mix studio, you need a gigantic console that five guys can sit at and do their jobs. Um, if you're in my little space here, you don't have room for a console and you can't put in a console-centric life. Not too many people I know, besides Yoad uh, and Chicky, <laughs> and let's see who else, uh, live a console-centric life these days in their home monitoring environments. Um, so then you get into the difference between home monitoring environments and commercial studios where you basically have to have a console um, or at least something that represents like a console with a bunch of inputs so that you can actually record live breathing humans in some considerable, considerable number, which I don't do here. Um, so what I don't like is pull out shelves is is slide out shelves and this thing that we're about to discuss is nothing but slide out shelves and i don't think they're comfortable for anything they're not solid enough for me and i don't think trying to put the entire computer rig and the keyboard in front of you is a good idea oh okay that's interesting i i've i've, I've as had evidenced the, I, as evidenced by what you see here yeah yeah i see what you mean so do you kind of think in terms of having sort of micro spaces within the space rather than try and have everything in the same plane around you that, that sort of uh, just I, anything that keeps me away from a slide out uh, shelf anything that's interesting it, it, much in the same way that robbie brominum can't bear wood you know he's got a thing about <laughs> it I, i'd like to explore that furniture and some what? i'm talking with gray no he it, it's like 
because I don't, I don't have, have a problem with shelves, slide out shelves. I'm okay with yeah. that as long as, as long as they're fit for purpose. I don't know, Gaz. What? How do you feel? Because I mean, you're like me. You know, you build and design and constantly tweaking. I mean, is it ever finished? Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to say though, the the rig that I've got here. I am um, when you were saying about it being designed for someone else. This is Robbie Bronneman's old desk setup from his old studio. He's got a new <laughs> studio space now. So this was really bespoke to his absolute specification. And I've kind of shoehorned my stuff into it, really. Um, but it did make a huge improvement. Robbie would come over here and see the way things were, and he was appalled. So he uh, <laughs> very kindly donated me his studio desks, which is cool. Um, but there is quite a lot, there is a lot of drop pull out. So uh, Richard ate it. <laughs> five five pull out well, no, drawers I just, on here. <laughs> I just mean on the desk in front of you with some like giant either key, gotcha. music keyboard or one yeah. of these things on a slide out, and I just can't handle it. Uh, no, for things like stacks of keyboards where you've got a cabinet and you want to be able yeah. to pull them out, no, that's fine. Although I would want to play it on there. Because it's going to be chugging, chugging, chugging. Ah, uh, well, that's true. But you, I mean, your 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 action is is quite firm, shall we say? I mean, I've heard you type and I've seen you play. You've got quite a, <laughs> you've got quite a because I mean because <laughs> you're equating his typing and his playing. Well, be, because be, be, uh, purely because you play pianos to begin with, you know, so it requires a bit, particularly in an electronic band music, you know, when you're necessarily having to kind of. I don't know. I'm making. A, I'm going to shut up. Carry on, Gaz. I'll just. I'm going to go and dig the rest of my hole off off camera. I've got like a little keyboard on there. Uh, what's that? An M32 complete, which you know, I'm literally putting a few. I'm, I don't play it much, so I. I and then like uh, the machine, the machine there, for instance, you need to you need to have something nice and solid um, to bang out stuff on there <laughs> so Technomat uh, sorry technomatic in the studio i've got to put the rich, yeah uh, technomatic simon that's simon Forsyth. rich has powerful wrists it requires dedicated furniture <laughs> dedicated <laughs> furniture <laughs> yeah yeah bless you simon bless you um but actually do you know something that is uh really important i think is we have to consider uh like if you play keyboards at a certain angle and then you change the angle, oh my goodness, the kind of the fatigue and the and the and the kind of potential tendon problems, I, you know. And I always think that maybe the keyboards are a little bit too low or a little bit too high. Um, I don't know if 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 it's just what you get used to, and then your muscles adapt to that, and yeah. it's just when you when you're used to something and then play it at a different level. Uh, that's a consideration, I think. There are, and also, when you're working with video, there are so many other things like, you know, this is fine. But the thing is, I've got a camera mount up there. So every time I get up, I've got to be really careful I didn't bang my head. But I have to have a camera there to point down on this particular desk. Over there in the main studio, it's further up in the air. There are all sorts of considerations for that. And also, right. my setup, apart from this one, this one is uh, I've tried to make consistent. So, you know, I've got my monitors. I've got a load of cable and crap behind there. And then around here, I've got a patch bay, which you can't see. It's underneath. But these are all... On uh, these kind of gas arms that you can move around, so you can set this screen. I can set the screen where I need it to be for every single thing. But under there, there's like a uh, an HDMI patch bay. You know that this is fairly consistent, and I've got room for more rackage down there if I ever need to put anything in there. But the idea is to try and make this part of it because it's it's the kind of the show 
and I'm I'm here every week, folks. You know, and this is where I sit and where <laughs> I do most of my interviews. Whereas over there, that space has to be completely reconfigurable because one day I might be reviewing something this big, and another time it might be an 88 key master keyboard or whatever, which is a completely different shot and a different sort of. So it's that throws a lot more complication into the workspace thing. But I spent quite a lot of time in you know this the beginning of this last uk lockdown thinking about adjusting my workspace and putting time and effort into it so now you know like i say all of these are on these gas uh, arms which you can get on ebay for like uh, on amazon for like 20 bucks and they're they're weighted so you can move them and they hold in place and they're really good for monitors so you can move them around and also i can plug whatever signal i want you know into any monitor so it's completely configurable so that's important but uh, if you want to get into, I, I really don't like the idea of patch bays, but for video, you kind of need that. Otherwise, it's cables everywhere. Mm, cables but, everywhere, blimey. <laughs> That's my life. Yeah. Which all the cables mm. everywhere are down here under the floor and hidden away as much as I could possibly. <laughs> but it, I would hate to have some kind of, uh, you know, like the, 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 the studio audio equivalent of my grandmother coming in and, and tutting at the state of my, uh, of my route. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Are you a neat cables guy, Rich, or do you have like a dirty secret? <laughs> Like the rest of My us. My dirty secret is right in front of me on the floor. <laughs> um, it's not. I mean, no, I don't. I don't uh, tie everything off and make it all because you're just going to have to untie it when it breaks. Yeah, or you add something else, or need some more cables. Yeah, or whatever. Or whatever you know, yeah. like right, add things to it. And it's just no, yeah. not here. In Absolutely. a commercial installation. I love to have it that way, and especially if it's not me doing it. But um, but uh, here, no, no. But it's not that bad either. I mean, no. I well, it's also, much. and it's also, you know, Stuff. it's like it's it's kind of I, I because I've had nobody in this room for I don't know a year plus. Um, my daughter came in because she wanted me to take some photographs because we had some cameras. She needed some headshots for some uh, drama stuff she was going for. And she came in and she was just horrified. She just said, how can you work like this? This is an absolute tip. And I thought, you know, it kind of is, isn't it? And I hadn't cleared up. And I, since then, I've tidied up. I've done all these things. Now, I wouldn't be... I'm not ashamed to have this in the background. I mean, it's, it's got a bit messy since then, but there's floor space. But by necessity, there are cables that run around the place because yeah. sometimes I need to run them from over there to over here. Sometimes I need to run them from there. Sometimes I need a, a network cable to the laptop that's over there on a desk or an HDMI out, but sometimes I don't, you know, so it's just, it's unavoidable. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know where we got into my particular habits. Jamie, that's very kind of you. Geosynth has just uh, given us a little uh, a, a, a <laughs> bit of love there. Thank you, Jamie. That will go towards sure. the, uh, well, the post-lockdown drinking session that will inevitably be happening at some <laughs> point. Uh, and we will oh, spend soon. it wisely at... Wisely being unwisely, if you see what I mean. It'll go to the right place. Thank you. That's very kind. Um, I think we're there, folks. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been, as ever, I think I've got a four shot. Yes, I do have a four shot. Um, only three of us today. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure, as ever. Uh, Rich, it's been a joy to have you. Uh, are you uh, off to busy and better things, or have you got a fairly clear day? <laughs> Um, it's a fairly clear day uh, for me today. I don't have anything pressing that has to be done by tomorrow. Um, I'm glad. But to I'm happy to be working, and I do have music projects that are going that I'm very excited about and pleased with and having fun learning while I'm doing it. 
Yeah, that's that's also part of that. I, actually, I shot an interview yesterday with uh, David Rossi, who is a string arranger. UK, he's based in Copenhagen, Italian guy. He used to play fiddle, uh, well, not fiddle, violin. He's classically trained. Uh, he's done... Uh, he did... Uh, um, what's the dun, dun, the Coldplay? Dun, 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 dun. That's him, basically. He's he's the string arranger of the time. He's absolutely brilliant. And I I knew him from Golf Rap like 20 years ago when we first met. So I shot an interview with him. We've also got some other things coming up, but uh, that will be something coming soon. How about you, Gaz? Nice to have you. You've got stuff going on. We, we still got to set a date for the 2400, yeah. haven't we? So we should, uh, yes. we should do that. But Yes. Um, yeah, well... I do my regular shows. I'm doing my kind of like your Iraq adventures on Monday, which usually me being completely flustered. <laughs> but, that, you know, that's an ongoing thing. And also my show, my regular Wednesday show tonight, 8pm, which uh, last week I talked about Rocket Gold Star and played exclusive tracks off this album that's taken literally 20 years in the making. Um, so a little bit more about that. Well, I, no about Rocky Gold Star and our 12-hour single tonight. So please join me for that. And uh, we'd like to call it a bit of an after-show after show hangout uh, yes, for the main event. Yes, that's uh, Gaz Williams. Here. Uh, yeah. Gaz Willi- uh, actually, Gaz Williams on YouTube, isn't it? Yeah. The Gaz Williams so. Show. Just search for that. <laughs> Pretty easy to find. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody. And a thanks again to our uh, sponsors, uh, Isotope. Uh, don't forget to check out the subscriptions if you want to save money on your Sonic 10. Go to isotope.com forward slash Sonic Talk. Uh, uh, products, n- not subscriptions, but you can save 10% using the code SONIC10 at checkout. Uh, that will get you there. And also to uh, Modal, uh, do check out their Cobalt 8. Great little synth, actually, um, and one that I wished I still had around here, but unfortunately I don't. That's it for this time. Thank you, folks. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you all um, next week, hopefully, for much more of the same. See you later. That's yes. it for now. Bye-bye now. <laughs>